0: what's going on everybody this is james grandmaster Facts' voice and this is the Facts project uh today i have a very very special guest because this man is totally si- solid within the hip hop realm and as far as culture is concerned the legendary photographer joey Conzo. thank you thank you thank you thank you and thank you for doing this <laughs> for real
1: <laughs> don't 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 mind if i don't call you by your uh your grandmaster Facts name because uh you got to tell your audience our relationship. So if I yes. call you James, it's because that's how I know you as James.
0: Right. Right, not right.
1: Grandmaster facts. And
0: stuff, so. <laughs> so, so, yes, uh, my, my fiance uh, and her family, uh, namely her uncle, her mother, her grandmother, all grew up in the South Bronx. And they are particularly your family as well. Yes, my,
1: my second family. So, your, I guess, how I can describe it, your step uncle, so to speak, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, is my oldest and dearest friend, I mean, in the whole world.
0: Right, right. He's
1: my oldest friend. I mean, he stole my bicycle, my little bell on it, when I first moved to Walton Avenue in 1972 and shit, you know what (laughs) I mean? So that's how far back we go. So yeah, that's our connection. Oh my God. Uh, I'm just so happy to see that. How well you're doing and what you're doing and how you're keeping the culture alive with what you're doing. Congrats. I,
0: I totally appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Absolutely. And and just to shoot, just just to get into it, I mean, I I know of a lot of the particular storylines uh around your inception into into this realm, but pretty much it all started with you being around a group a group of friends and just happened to have a camera handy. You know? So
1: I was that chubby little kid in, in junior high school, you know, that um, just was fortunate enough to have picked up a camera. You know, my stepfather at the time, Michael Kane, played a role in that, and he was an avid, an av- amateur family photographer and put a camera in my hand and I fell in love with it and became a love and passion. And unknowns to me, I went to school with some of what would become, you know, the pillars, the foundation, the bricklayers of this culture of hip hop, you know, namely Easy Ad and, and Tony Tone of uh, the mighty Cold Crush Brothers, who have influenced everybody. I mean, Jay Z, Nas. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, their name is spoken and 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 written about. To this day, 40 years plus years later, because they played such a pivotal role in the foundation of this culture of hip hop, and I went to school with with two of them. Right. So being so being the the the, the high school photographer, I got invited to go take pictures of the jam that mm-hmm. they were putting together because it wasn't called hip hop back then. Right. You know, hip hop was a media name given later on. But to a jam right up here in the Bronx, in the North Bronx, at the T Connection, and um, as I tell people, I, I was uh, a disco head at the time,
0: what and you, I was what you should have been because that was that that was the hot thing.
1: That was the hot thing back then. You know, we're talking seventy six, seventy seven. You know, I had you know your uncle and I had platform Playboy shoes on, you know, open collar T shirts or Plaid, you know, wide bottom pants and, you know, disco was the thing. And um, that night in the Bronx, seeing my high school buddies perform with a Puerto Rican DJ by the name of Charlie Chase Mm. blew me away, blew me away. I tell people I was kidnapped that night into this culture that we call hip hop because to see a Puerto Rican DJ play music. That my parents played at home, but play it differently. Mm-hmm. I was just blown away, blown away, and you know the rest is history. You know I was one of a handful of people walking around with a camera at that time. You know, and um, it's just uh, I've been blessed and humbled because of my pictures and the pictures that I took back then. Uh-huh. I mean. James, I've been to Bulgaria. Yeah, how fucking cool is that? You know, hip cool. hop is alive and kicking in Bulgaria, Korea, Amsterdam, Germany. I mean, you name it, I've been there. This kid from the South Bronx has been all over the world because I love taking pictures.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's 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 funny because like when the way that I look at it, and I see basically like most, most of the, most of the photos that you basically put together and it pretty much when you got invited to all these parties and you just happened to have a camera handy, you know, there were people that necessarily didn't even know that they were implementing the culture and starting the culture themselves at all. They had no idea what they were were just jamming out. This is a a just jamming out, just jamming out.
1: It was about it wasn't about record deals because there was no record deals going on. It wasn't about you know the bling and and and, and you know all of that stuff that came with it. It was about Friday nights, Saturday nights, reputations mm-hmm. because hip hop you know is it's a it's a competitive sport mm-hmm. so to speak. The crews. Yeah, the crews. You know who's the best MC? Who could spit the the best rhymes and this that and the other. And the Kochers brothers just elevated it to a different level Mm -hmm. with their harmonizing, four-part harmonizing Grandmaster Kaz, who I considered a goat when, you know, LL, you know, claims or is the greatest of all time. But, you know, you have Grandmaster Kaz who calls himself the grandest of all time, you know, (laughs) and, you know, L.L. even speaks about, you know, the Cold Crush Brothers, how, you know, he was influenced and run DMC. But the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, they they took it to the next level. You know, Grandmaster Caz wrote rhymes based off of, you know, uh, Gilbert O'Sullivan. Mm-hmm. You know, American songwriters. You You didn't hear that back then. You right. know what I mean? You had a hype man like J.D.L. who, you know... Uh, um, Flavor Flav gives credit to, you know, that's where he got his heightness from watching J.D.L. perform. So, and then you had a Puerto Rican DJ, which Mm -hmm. was so fucking dope. You know what I mean? So fucking dope. And, you know, don't let, don't ever let anybody say that Puerto Ricans or the Latinos were invited this thing called hip hop, you know, right. we weren't we weren't invited. We no. weren't guests. We were part of it. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. They, side by side, you know, doing the same thing.
0: A big problem that a lot of people don't seem to acknowledge is the fact that Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican people are not guests in hip hop. They're no. in the, they're in the foreground. They, yes. That is the mother and the father in the house. That is Puerto Rican and yes. black together in the yes. South Bronx.
1: And if you, if you want to take it, I mean, you want to look at the bigger picture, Mm -hmm. you know, even the, the, my black brothers, African-American brothers and sisters, you know, they, you know, when they came from the motherland, Africa, they had to stop in Puerto Rico first before they arrived at the United States, (laughs) you know, so, you know, to hear a story like Grandmaster DST, you know, tell me crazy legs not too long ago that he just found out that his mother was from puerto rico and never knew this you know it's just mind-blowing so you know i mean you want to look at the big picture everybody stopped at puerto rico at one time or another before they got to the to america mm-hmm. you know so they can trace some of that bloodline back to 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 the island of Borinquen that we call it, you know, Puerto Rico. So we weren't guests. We were throwing the parties too.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now to get into your hometown in the Bronx, now in the climate during the sixties and seventies, wasn't necessarily the most positive at that time. Uh, the economy, uh, generally the, uh, the the distribution of wealth that was basically happening around the neighborhood and everything like that the, the 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 infrastructure between how the bronx looked started a sort of revolution internally inside the bronx which was pretty much led by not only your mother your grandmother and if you can Thank speak you like thank that. you
1: thank you i mean listen it was a turbulent time mm-hmm. you know almost com- comparable to what's going on today with the the pandemic in terms of jobs loss and, and schools and housing and homelessness and education and stuff. But it was, a, it, it was for different reasons that the Bronx was going through what it went through back in, in the 60s, 70s and, and early 80s. Um, the world just gave up on the Bronx, gave up on the Bronx pretty much, gave up on, on New York City. And landlords were burning buildings down for monies. And, you know, it was, you know, you can get it into the whole economics about redlining of districts where money was distributed, this, that, and the other. The Cross Bronx Expressway mm-hmm. played a big role in dividing the Bronx into, into you know, the haves and the have-nots. In the Bronx was thriving in the 40s and 50s with a huge migration of Jewish American people
0: you mm-hmm. know right
1: then you had a large influx of, of Hispanic and Puerto Ricans that came over during the 40s and 50s to the lower east side but migrated uptown to the Bronx and um that not sit kindly with people you know mm-hmm. people with with money And, um, you know, we pushed the Jewish people out of the Bronx, the Irish people, and, you know, planted our flag. And, you know, it was a rough time. You know, I happened to, you know, seen with my own eyes the burning of the buildings for profits and and the influx of drugs and and gangs and things of that nature. And, you know, it was a hard time. But... Mm -hmm. But, can I say that, because growing up in the Bronx at that time, if you've never had a house with a white picket fence and a backyard and a lawn, you can't miss it. Mm-hmm. So we, and I say we, Grandmaster Kaz, Crazy Legs, all these pioneers that started this this, this huge universal culture that we love so much today, hip-hop, We made the best of what we had. Mm -hmm. So these abandoned buildings became our playgrounds. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, 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 They became a backdrop to a lot of my photography. Right. You know, I have tons of images of burning buildings and firefighters, you know, battling fires. And lo and behold, I worked for the fire department for 27 fucking years who knew <laughs> who knew and then getting into my family you know my mother and my grandmother may they rest in peace were huge community activists where my grandmother was affectionately known as the hell lady of the bronx mm. who started bilingual education in public schools you know up until the 60s right. if you were in a a a a young puerto rican child right and was going through public school in new york city and you didn't speak english fluently you got left behind didn't get an education or got put into what's called the 600 school a kid that was doing bad
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and wasn't doing well enough and my grandmother's standing there's like wait a minute You have such a large population of Spanish-speaking kids. How come these schools aren't bilingual? And she forced the Board of Education to start bilingual education in the public schools, which was huge. Mm -hmm. Let's take it a step further. The kids that went to school for those nine months, you know, for those nine months, ate, you know, at school. Mm -hmm. But the Bronx was was such a, you know, hard time at the time, you know, during the summer months, what was going to happen? So she started the the summer lunch programs and the summer breakfast programs so Uh kids in the Bronx could eat. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, you know, it was a whole slew of activism going on. During the seventies and eighties and and I'm just so proud of my grandmother, who to this day they just named the city park after her
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know what I mean that her legacy continues, and my mother, who followed in her footsteps when when my grandmother passed away, opened up the first drug rehab for women with children
0: wow
1: up until the till up until uh the late eighties, early nineties, mm-hmm. if a woman had a substance abuse problem, you know, and had children and wanted to go into a drug rehab, that, that unity would get broken up. The moms would go into a drug rehab and the ch- children would go into foster care. Wow. How is a mother supposed to get her mind together, straight, get off of drugs and not worry about her kids. Mm-hmm. So my mother opened up the first drug rehab for women with children in mm-hmm. the entire country. And that model is still modeled today across the country. So, you know, it, there's so many things that, you know, that I'm so proud of that I, you know, come in my family bloodline mm-hmm. and stuff and, you know, and. And then you throw in the little Joe Conzo photography and and stuff, and my dad Joe Conzo Sr., who worked with Tito Puente for over forty plus forty plus years, and is known as the most prolific Latin music historian alive today. So, yeah, well, I come from a little legacy. Pretty much. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so during that time, I mean, outside of um, what was happening on the ground, um, the ingenuity, the creativity, and because generally when when um, when a lot of hardship economically and financially starts to happen within a community, that ingenuity and creativity starts to like come to the forefront. Culture starts to happen. Right. So, yeah. So like, um, when, when that pretty much like set its standard, there was a lot of kids that were like, just like you, that, that, that were living in those current situations and they had to figure out ways to, you know, have a good time. That's where these jams came from. And, uh, pretty much like you know, a lot of kids, you know, find an escape through music, find an escape through the friends that they have find an escape through dancing and, and, uh, doing, doing art art during that time. And, then there, then there's you. Now, what, when did it hit? When you started taking these photos, like, did somebody did somebody see them and was like, uh, "Yo, that is a great picture."
1: James, I I gotta be honest with you. If, you know, to our listeners who who if they get a chance to see the video that we're shooting now mm-hmm. or not, or just Google, I mean. You see it on my wall back. I was a chubby little kid with a huge Angelo Davis afro. I wasn't no MC. I wasn't no DJ. I wasn't athletic. I wasn't any of those things. Mm -hmm. The camera for me was my outlet. That opened doors. That broke down the barriers, the insecurities that I had, you know, as a kid growing up Mm -hmm. and it became a love and passion. And my parents especially my mother embraced my passion and love and supported it mm-hmm. and, you know, allowed me to build a dark room where I can develop my pictures because we're talking about film photography. Yeah. We're not talking about digital photography where digital you know, every, everybody's a photographer today. Mm-hmm. Everybody they yeah. take out their little iPhone and they swear they're taking some, <laughs> I mean, that's another segment that's another segment right but you know what god bless god bless that's technology everything changes yeah. just like you as a dj you don't you don't have to lug around them the vinyl crates no more everything's all on a little hard drive
0: yeah all on the computer
1: dj, DJ an eight-hour jam you know club night gig, mm-hmm. gig and stuff but i was fortunate enough to, to have parents that supported my my love and passion okay and it, it it wasn't about money. It wasn't about, it was just documenting my surroundings.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, it was just about taking pictures of my friends, mm-hmm. my community. I mean, my community was being devastated at, at that time with these fires and the drugs and the gangs and stuff, you know. Um, but I found beauty out of all of this devastation, mm-hmm. you know. Cause you have to, you right. have to, you know, you, you can't dwell on the negativity and that's just the way I was raised. You have to find the beauty and I found the beauty and the beauty came through my, my images. I developed an eye. I, I experimented a lot with, with film photography and I became part of the band, so to speak with the cold Crush brothers. Right, and got to travel with them from club from club, not really clubs back then, because we weren't allowed into clubs. From high school to uh, P.A.L.s, you know, police athletic leagues to uh-huh. boys' clubs to you know parks and jams and stuff like that. And I was part of the group, so to right. speak. That's Joe. Leave him alone. You know, mm-hmm. he's our photographer. What do you mean you guys got a? Ph- yeah, we have a photographer. And to see the Cold Crush take things to a different level in terms of they would incorporate my photographs on flyers.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Now this is pre-internet, pre, you know (laughs) radio commercials, record deals, and our internet was these flyers Mm -hmm. that we made up and one of the the Flyer Kings at the time, Buddy Esquire, may rest in peace would take my images put them on the flyers mm-hmm. and you know you spend a week handing out a, a thousand flyers for next week's jam mm-hmm. whether it's going to be at south bronx high school or at, at clinton high school or the boys, the whole avenue boys club or you know all these different places and then it just grew mm-hmm. it just grew and grew and it went from the Bronx to the different boroughs downtown. Yeah. Now I wanted
0: to ask you about that because there had to be like a sort of inclusivity about the uh, about the Bronx amidst the other boroughs that were out, outside of that that this was happening here, but it wasn't happening anywhere else.
1: I mean, listen, it, it, it all depends on who you ask. You know, I'm. Born in the Bronx, you see it's tattooed on my arm. I have a book called Born in the Bronx. This is where it started. You have somebody from Brooklyn. Oh, you had Grandmaster Flowers out in Brooklyn doing his thing. You had somebody from Queens. You had, you know, DJ so-and-so, this, that, and the other. But, you know, I'm biased. It started in the Bronx. Right. And it spread, and it spread. And, you know, I can remember, you know, one of the first gigs... The Cold Crush Brothers played downtown Mm -hmm. at a a club called McGrills. And if you look at my images, it's all Caucasian people watching, you know, these four black, you know, brothers, you know, on the mic. Mm -hmm. And then you had the Rocksteady crew performing, you know, in between gigs, Mm -hmm. you know, or the Shaq crew. And it was just amazing. And it just spread. It just spread like wildflowers and you know, next thing you know, you know, they're on tour in Japan. Wow. They're on tour in London, you know, and they're you know, the Europeans and the and and, and 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 all those guys, they're bugging the fuck out. They've never seen anything like this before or right. heard it. Right. You know, so it you know, they thought it would just be a fad. Yeah. And here we are, 40 plus years later, Mm -hmm. we are the biggest genre of music. We have surpassed rock and roll. Absolutely. Jazz. We have influence. You know, Grandmaster Kaz's famous saying is hip hop didn't invent anything. It reinvented everything.
2: Mm. Now, I'll
1: say that again. Hip hop didn't invent anything. It reinvented everything everything from the way we talk Mm -hmm. from what we wear how we act our attitude to you know music is just one part of the umbrella of the hip-hop culture right when i speak about hip-hop i speak about the culture Mm -hmm. i don't speak about rap music because if you ask me rap stands for recording artists pretending Mm -hmm. because (laughs) you know we got these so-called rap Mm -hmm. musicians today that
0: you know it's yeah they're painting a picture but some of them paint the wrong picture sometimes
1: i'm telling you right but it's all good it's all good because it's called growth Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it's called growth right you know elvis presley you know was considered lewd and sexual and was banned from you know ed sullivan tv show because of the way he danced but became one of the biggest rock stars in the world you know what i mean so you know in the case of hip-hop the music the rap aspect it has to grow you know mm-hmm. and then you're gonna you have your trap music your your gangster rap you have this that you have that so it, it has to grow but you know when i speak about hip-hop I, I speak about the whole culture as as a whole
0: right now can can you tell me basically about the reception that you got when you when you um, release your book on in the Bronx in 2010? Well,
1: I had for years sat on a treasure trove of, of negatives that, you know, My thank God my mother had preserved my mother and Easy AD because I had dealt with personal demons. I was homeless at one time. Sold off all my camera equipment because I was a crackhead, junkie, mm-hmm. scale, this, that, and the other. And I'm proud to say that, you know, it took 24 hours in jail to wake my ass up and, you know, I got sent away to a rehab and haven't looked, big, haven't looked back and I've been clean 29 years now. and shit. God bless. But um, if it wasn't for my mother and easy AD saving my negatives, you know, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. But, you know, it was, a, it was something that I wanted to do for a long time looking up to other photographers like Jamel Shabazz, Ernie Panicoli, Martha Cooper, you know, a handful of photographers that were shooting around the same time I was shooting. And to put the book together with uh, my good buddy, my good friend, Johan Kugelberg was just amazing. That book has brought me all over the world. James, I mean, like I, I mentioned earlier, you know, I've been to Bulgaria. I mean, you know, when I got invited to Bulgaria, I'm like, aren't you part of Russia? No, Joe, we, you know, we left yeah. Russia years ago, <laughs> you know, that was a long <laughs> time ago. Long ago. <laughs> but, but we love hip-hop, and I'm like, vet, I'm down, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, I've been to Tokyo, Japan, Korea, London, Amsterdam. I was supposed to go to Dubai this year, but the damn fucking covid 19 shut that shit down and you know I was supposed to go back to germany and in and, mm-hmm. and all these places and you know because the culture is loved so much mm-hmm. overseas i mean and it's crazy and, and i'm sorry if we go no. sideways for a minute but it's crazy how it americans in america we only love what's hot today mm-hmm. and if it's not hot today we discard it and we throw it to the side right my first exhibition i had to go to london to do my first exhibition
0: right not here that's
1: mind blown not here in the bronx i had to go overseas to do mm-hmm. my first exhibition and that was such a huge success that motherfuckers here in the states was like yo we got to do it and i'm like I'm sorry, I'm booked for the next three years. Mm-hmm. You know, it ain't going to happen. You know what I mean? But to hear my dad tell me stories about how Tito Puente and all these jazz musicians, like John Coltrane and all these other guys, were loved and revered more overseas mm-hmm. than they were here in their own home town, it's just mind-blowing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's sad
0: yeah it is it's sad
1: you know and i guess that's why the term the ugly american comes from because we just discard everything that's not relevant today and and we don't preserve what we started here at least in terms of you know music and in the culture of hip-hop but um you know again putting the book out born in the bronx was just an amazing feat um it was a run of ten thousand. Um, it's sold out. You can go on eBay and and and, and find it for six, seven, eight hundred bucks right now. But I'm gonna give you an, an exclusive right now. We are re-releasing an expanded version of Born in the Bronx. Nice. This holiday, and it's gonna be available on one x one x run. And it's something I've been working on for a while, and the buzz is just going crazy right now. That's great about co- getting a copy of it because it's been something long in the works, and um I'm grateful. I'm grateful that that people still want to see my work and purchase my work and mm-hmm. and experience the visuals the way I saw it back then.
0: Yeah cuz um I, I recently I told you that I had a, a talk with uh DJ Ross 1 about his book Tees, and we brought you up Ross
1: 1 my brother from another mother
0: God yeah. bless him he's,
1: you know he's not just your typical DJ he's a oh. historian he he's a phenomenal DJ he believes in the cultural culture, culture. He believes in the founding fathers, the pioneers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And when you told me that you had interviewed him not too long ago, I was like, Ross, my man. And, you know, his line of rap tease is just phenomenal. Phenomenal.
0: And and that's the thing. Like he he's curating a vintage item based on the culture of hip hop twice over, because not only did he do it with the uh, with the book rap tease, he also did it where he he, which
1: i contributed to the yes because yes,
0: yeah, I, I talked about how your collection yeah. is also in the book but he had constructed or, or collected uh vintage boom boxes over a period of time to where yes. he turned them into a work of art and he ended up auctioning them off at Sotheby's. So- yeah yeah I yeah. was like, what the hell is that but, <laughs> but 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 no here no there uh when When we were talking about the book and we were talking about how your contribution to the book was like pretty impactful to how he put the book together. It's pretty much it caused the fact that, you know, that you're a go to as far as archives are concerned within the hip hop community. Like if people want if people wanted to know about the beginnings of it, they could go to you for visual aid. True. Like, how how do you feel about being an archivist like your your Dewey Decimal (laughs) System of hip hop? (laughs) <laughs> my Dewey Dewey Decimal System. God, I haven't heard that in a while.
1: Um, James, I'm going to be honest with you. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. No idea what I was doing at the time. Again, I was just that young photographer that loved taking pictures and and, and going into my darkroom, smoking a joint, playing my Cold Crush Brothers tape, right. listening to music. And making art, so to speak, Mm -hmm. making art, because the photographs that I was printing in my darkroom, the following week, the Cold Brothers would throw the the 8x10 photos out to the crowds. What? No, no other groups were doing shit like that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And if you get a chance, you know, I know you have it on DVD somewhere or you can go on YouTube. Look at the movie CB4.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. The first 30 seconds of that movie is a Joe Conzo image. Ah. Unbeknownst to me, no compensation, no photo credit, no nothing. Nothing. So you can imagine I'm sitting in a movie theater back in 1995, 96 when it yeah. first came out. Yeah. And I'm sitting there looking at this 30 by 20 feet screen, and it goes boom one of my, my photographs of the Cold Crush Brothers. So I didn't know how much of an impact I would have on the culture itself. And when the New York Times did that that article on me, labeling me the man who took hip hop's baby picture, I've just been the go-to person to, uh, to look at images uh, from back in the days. And um, I'm not sure if you know this, but um, Cornell University has a, a hip hop collection. Yes. And it has 10,000 of my negatives that are all digitized that your listeners can go to right now and go to the Cornell Hip Hop Collection and look at 10,000 of my images, not only of hip hop, but of Latin music, Tito Puente and Celia Cruz and all the. And by the way, to your listeners, mm-hmm. you know, Tito Puente which everybody should know of, who's they heard should. of, the king of Latin music, played on Sugar Hill Gang's first album. Mm. And if you look at the album cover, it says Special Appearance by Tito Puente." So again, you know, us Spanish people, we weren't invited guests to right. this culture. We were there. No. Exactly. But, you know, you can, go, you can go to my archives at Cornell University and you can see family photos, photos of your uncle. Mm -hmm. of your fiance when she was she was a baby you know my entire archive is digitized and that's something that that i'm most proud of because those images will live on for hundreds and hundreds of years when i'm not here i mean i tell the story how my my images my photographs sit on the same shelf as the gettysburg address
0: wow how
1: fucking cool is that how fucking cool is that you know what i mean and then you know since then cornell has acquired you know other archives crazy legs fable ernie panicoli other photographers and you know because it our narrative our contribution has to be preserved we have a rock and roll hall of fame museum we have a jazz museum We're working on a Latin museum. We have the the African-American museum that just opened up in Washington, D.C., which my images are there also. Mm. And so, you know, we have to preserve our work. And I'm just grateful that people have taken the time out to do that. So I'm humbled every day when I turn on a computer and I get an email from somebody wanting to license uh, an image for a documentary or for a book or just have a simple question Mm
2: -hmm. about
1: how it was like, you know, living in the Bronx or, or taking pictures of, of hip hop in its infancy.
0: Right. Right. Now, is there any photographers, maybe past, present or anything like that, that felt like that they were inspired by your work and wanted to do pretty much what you did?
1: Um, it's funny i had a photographer today joe rodriguez who's fucking phenomenal who has several books out he called me up today when he found out that i was re-releasing born in the bronx and i called him and i mentioned to him i said papa you're my mentor i looked up to you he goes bah i look up to you Mm -hmm. i look up to you and that brought a tear to my eye it really did because you know I'm that humble kid still, you know what I mean. Right. I, I still can't believe that I've been all over the world. I still can't believe that you know, I'm known as the man who took hip hop's baby pictures, because I'm just that humble Joe from the Bronx. You know what I mean. And 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 I'm grateful for it. You know, one thing that I that it, about photography is that you know I love photography so much that I learned about the greats, Ansel Adams and, you know, all these other pioneering photographers who, who shape photography as a whole, you know, music photography is just one part of photography. There's so many different aspects of photography, fine arts photography, fashion photography, you know, food, you know, there's so many different aspects of photography Mm -hmm. and, you know, I studied that. I went to, you know, I did, a year and a half, almost two years of college at the School of Visual Arts. Mm-hmm. I had to drop out because I couldn't afford it, but I start I, I studied photography. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell this to, to, to anybody, if you love something so much, know the beginnings, know who the pioneers were, the legends were of anything. And, you know, so I have a few photographers that I look up to. And I guess there's a few photographers out there that look up to me, which is very humbling.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I I mean, as far as like how the culture has propelled itself to where it is today, you know, at some point, there's always going to be some some group that wants a photographer or videographer to tag along with them. And or maybe you've oh. been out or, or you've been out on tour or, or you've been to a concert or anything and you saw like a specific artist or something like that hop on stage and you see their you see their their entourage of photographers and videographers pop out and you're like, Yeah, I was I was that
1: guy. It's so crazy because, you know, um there really wasn't you know, I can count maybe five people on one hand mm-hmm. that was actually taking pictures back then. Of of you know the beginning of of this culture of hip hop, and to see today groups like you know Tribe Called Quest and you know all these mega groups Jay Z that have you know a whole entourage and a a whole video squad and this that and the other, which wasn't common back then, mm-hmm. you know. But to have somebody like Rakim stop in the middle of a show. Just to acknowledge me taking pictures in a pit is pretty, <laughs> pretty damn cool. Pretty damn cool and shit. You know what I mean? You know, or a KRS One or Chuck D. You know, grab me on stage and say, "This is Joe Conzo." If it wasn't for Joe Conzo, none of you motherfuckers would know what the beginnings of hip hop looked like because of his images. And that to me is real humble, humbling. You know, and and. And again, you know, I'm just grateful that my mother and you know had the foresight to save my negatives you know when I was down and out and um I still take pictures today um I still you know get the love and respect from from some pretty big name artists and sometimes I don't I mean the photographers today don't get the love and respect that they they should get
2: mm-hmm.
1: um the way, you know, these, and it's funny, I had this conversation the other day, is like um, Rock the Bells was a huge concert series that went on for years. Yes. Had the biggest named groups come through, perform, East Coast, West Coast, and it was a series of concerts. And, um, you know, for me to, to, you know, the way they treated photographers was, you know, they would, you know, get all these photographers, let them shoot you know, the first two songs and herding them off to the side like cattle. Mm. Wow. And I'm like, yo, if I can't take pictures the way I take pictures, I don't want to shoot your, your, your concert. Mm. And I had to have Chuck D tell the promoter, you know, yo, do you know who that is? So I got what I, what I call a don't fuck with Joe Conzo" pass. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Leave Joe Conzo alone. You know, you won't even notice him taking pictures. And that's just how I am. Right. You know, when a group's performing, you won't even notice me taking pictures because I'm not part of the, you, I'm not going to get on on the stage and, and, and be part of the act because I'm not part of the act. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to be able to take my pictures the way I take pictures because that's just the trained photographer that I am. Right. you know, you look at some of these you know entourage of you know people taking pictures today at these mega concerts they're all up in you know yeah. all up on stage and I'm like yo get the fuck off the stage <laughs> it's not you know, possible. if you can't take your pictures the way you want to take them with the equipment you got you ain't no photographer mm. you know what I mean right and it's just you know that's just the way i the way I was taught or Mm -hmm. the way I was raised, you know, get your shot, keep it moving. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And, you know, you got some photographers that'll stand right there in front and take a thousand pictures and won't even compare to one shot that I took. Mm. You know what I mean? And not to like pat myself on, you know, I've got 40 plus years of experience, but it's like, you know, do what you got to move, do and keep it moving. You know (laughs) what I mean? Keep it moving and stuff, Definitely. but um, I've been
0: I've
1: been I've been grateful.
0: That's been
1: good. A, yeah, been grateful.
0: So now to now to bring it back full circle, you still live in the Bronx.
1: Still live in the Bronx. I just retired from the fire department two years ago, after twenty seven years of saving lives and delivering babies. Yeah, man. As a paramedic, um, still live in the Bronx. So what Where do you? Am I go?
0: So what what do you see now? That you didn't see 60s and 70s 40 50 years ago that you see now when you step outside in the bronx
1: um the issues are still there yeah but but not on a scale that it was back when i was a kid growing up we still have issues i mean forget the pandemic for for a moment
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you still have issues with housing affordable housing you still have issues with good education. You know, when I was growing up, you either went to Catholic Catholic school or public school. Now you have for-profit charter schools. Mm-hmm. You know, in in the mix, which I don't believe in. You know what I mean? Education should be free for everybody,
2: mm-hmm.
1: all the way up to to college.
2: Definitely. and
1: that's that. That's that social liberal in me and shit. You know, <laughs> education should be free health insurance should be free you know all of that stuff but it's gotten better i mean it's gotten better um you've got gentrification going on yeah you're in the bronx because you know that's just life that's just life i mean we did it as a Hispanic community back in the forties and fifties, where we, when we migrated into the Bronx, we we pushed the Jewish people out. And what's happening today is you can't live in Brooklyn no more. You can't live in Harlem no more. There's no more space. Now everything's moving up into the Bronx and you got these mega high rises being built in the Bronx. And none of us can afford, you know, a half million dollar studio that's only 12 feet by four feet and that's what they're getting no it's you know it's just crazy but that's just you know everything comes full circle you know what i mean um but the opportunities are 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 there you know Mm -hmm. if you want to make it you can make it if you, you if you need employment you can find a job um i've always told people stick to your dreams Dreams do come true. It took me 30 years. I mean, if you ever get a copy of my high school yearbook from 1980, under my high school picture, it says, I want to become a world famous photographer, travel the world, this, that, and the other. It took 30 years, but it happened.
0: Yeah, manifested it. (laughs) It manifested.
1: You know, I had to, you know, go off to the left a little bit, get into the medical field, which paid off really well because. I love my pension check every month. That hasn't stopped coming in, <laughs> you know what I mean. And you know, to tell people that you know you saved lives and, and delivered babies for a living right. for almost thirty years is is pretty damn cool in itself. And you know, it life is good. I can't complain. I can't complain.
0: That's what's up. Well, Joey. I, I I thank you for doing this for me, man. Thank you. Oh come on, James.
1: Anytime, <laughs> anytime. I support you, your entire family, whatever you what you need. Thank God that you know. I know everybody's going through hard times, and you got trying to reinvent yourself. And I'm so happy to see what you're doing. And you know, when I got that call and that text, I'm like, I'm in. I'm down. Whatever, oh, whatever.
0: I'm happy to whatever. hear that, man yeah <laughs> not nah, that, that, that definitely puts a smile on my face, <laughs> yeah yeah so hey when when exactly are we going to see that book come out
1: so for the holidays um this 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 weekend coming up um if you go to beyondthestreets.com, dot com one okay. word um they're having a big virtual art gallery going on, and mm-hmm. they're gonna introduce the book, and then it's gonna be about a week or two after that going to be available online
2: right and
1: um cop it or if not just go to you know 1x run cop a print go to my website joeconzo.com email me google me
0: you have social media now
1: <laughs> social media ig fb everything you know <laughs> My, my space account is probably still open, too. Oh, and my shit. God. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you know, We're not looking back. <laughs>
1: but but um, I'm one of the most accessible persons to reach out to. I answer my emails. And, um and you know, it's about sharing. It's about giving back. It's about giving back. And, you know, I'm not one of those photographers that, you know, try and sell prints for thousands and thousands of dollars and stuff like that. Don't get me wrong. I I have. Mm-hmm. but you know it's about giving back and sharing what was shared with me and you know it's you know if you want to print you got ten dollars i'll give it to you you know what i mean it it, it that's just how i am right. you know what i mean i'm in a position where i can say i'm going to charge you or i'm not going to charge you it's like if if your name comes attached to vh1 mtv mm-hmm. red bull you're getting charged because i know yeah. you got the money you know what right, i mean right, right but if you're joe blow on the on the block or you know uh edu- higher education institution no problem i got you no problem because you can't keep it unless you give it away yes yeah, you know true. what i mean can't take it with can't you can't keep it unless- exactly and it's about sharing it's about sharing you know, I have because I give. I give because I have. That's how I live. Definitely, That's how I live. Yeah,
0: definitely. Joey, I, thank you again, man. Thank you always. All right, Yo, my
1: love to you, your entire family. Yes, everybody. You know, good luck with the show. Yeah. You need me to be a conduit to anybody else you want on your wish list. Let me know. We'll make it happen.
0: I'll be happy to reach out <laughs> for sure, man. <laughs> oh, from from Joe, Joey Conzo to James Boyce, this is Facts Project, and we out. Peace.